Hey, good morning. Good morning, Walter Spires. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning to get into the Word of God and uh, bless you, bless Him, praise Him. And this is going to be a, a great time together studying God's Word. I'm going to show you this graphic that I created for those of you who didn't see it. The title of it is The Rainbow Belongs to God. The Rainbow Belongs to God. We are in one of those months when the things are being celebrated that we just as Christians consider just an absolute perversion of the gospel, of the word of God, and the uh, use of this rainbow in ways that are just uh, terrible and perverted. Now, people see this and think that I'm getting ready to hammer all over that in this message this week and next Depends on how far we get this week, uh, but I will I will directly address these things. But it became clear to me as I was studying, preparing, that the Holy Spirit said, "Wait a minute, time out, time out. Let's go and look inside first before we think about anything speaking outside, beginning with my own heart and yours as Christians, and that's what we're going to do this morning." The Holy Spirit gave me this mnemonic out of something that we learned as children, and many of us did, and I'll talk about that. That's going to be the, the main uh, text, if you will, of our message today with a lot of verses to go through that. So I'm not going to rush. I don't know if we get through it all today or not, but you will get the point as we go through this, and hopefully it will speak to you as it did to me, and we'll let the, ask the Holy Spirit to... Uh, to help us do that, help us lean in and listen to what he has for us this morning. But this is important. This is important. It's going to get more and more important as the days go on and we draw closer and closer uh, to the end times. I just finished preaching on that. So let me pray us in. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And we are so thankful to be able to come and gather together to be taught your word, to hear what you have for us what it means for us today, written many, many thousands and thousands of years ago, and yet just as applicable for us today. And that's only because it was written by you. It was written by you, uh, spoke by God through these men who just wrote down what you put on their hearts and told them to write for all generations. It is truth for all generations and help us to examine our own hearts. That's what we're going to do today. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, amen. But we need to remember three things, three things. Whose you are, I always teach that, it's not who you are, it's whose you are. And whose we are is we are born-again, blood-bought Christians. If you're born again in Christ, that's who you are. The second thing is what Jesus expects from us, and we're going to see this as we go through these letters and the verses that correspond to them. And then finally, and probably most importantly for today is how we're supposed to live today. How do we live today? How do we teach our children and our grandchildren to live today? We have to live in this world. We're not being taken out of it right now. We will be when the rapture occurs. Again, I talked to you that last week and the week before. That series, you need to go back and look at that. Everything in that series, delivers from the evil one, those five weeks, is now available on the YouTube channel, Jesus, uh, Only Jesus and Walter Spires. It's kind of the name of it combined in some way. I forget the exact wording. Uh, our website, onlyjesus.life, and it has everything on there 
the audios as well as the, um, I mean, the audio podcast, which can also be found on Anchor Spotify, and then uh, the videos as well. So only Jesus not live. So it's not a commercial. It's just trying to tell you where to find these things because so many miss them when you may be in another church or someplace else on Sunday morning. So let's get started. First thing I want to do is talk to you about the origin of the rainbow. The origin of this rainbow that we believe is being so heinously and, and some even consider blasphemously used by groups who just defy and defy the word of God. Defy God and defy his word. Again, we'll look at that next week or later. But the origin of the rainbow is as follows. And it's found in Genesis 6 and then the rainbow portion in Genesis 9. But it begins with Genesis 6, and we have to start there because this is the world we are in today. We talk about the Genesis 3 world. I've talked about the Romans 1 world. We'll talk more about that as we go through. But let me read to you, <clears throat> excuse me, let me read to you what led to the, all of this happening, Noah's flood. It starts in Genesis 6. The first four verses are about that interesting few verses about the Nephilim, the angels, uh, leaving their rightful places, angels created beings. We talked about angels, where they come from. And they married beautiful women. They had children with them, created these strange creatures. It was just something that God never intended. In fact, that group of angels, we're told, were sent directly to hell, the first hell, if you will. All right? And again, I talked about that, and I don't want to go backwards, but that's the background leading up to these verses that the world was corrupt and evil. And that's what we read, picking it up in Genesis 6, 5. And the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great on the earth. And here's the key, that every intent of the thoughts of the heart of man was evil continually, was only evil continually. And here's an interesting verse. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. You have to know that sin grieves the heart of God, grieves the heart of God. But it was so heinous and violent and vile that we read these words that just make you tremble, make you shudder, that, that God was sorry he had made mankind and grieved in his heart. And so he changed his mind. He said, okay, I'm going to blot out man. And again, some will argue theologically God can't change his mind. Well, he decided, however you want to say that, he decided, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, from man to animals to creeping things and the birds of the sky. See, even the birds, the animals of all, they suffered this, this uh, curse, if you will, and that's what it is, a curse, when God destroyed, decided to destroy them all and start over. And so he did. And so uh, he said, I'm sorry that I've made them. That was Genesis 6, 5 through 7. So we've moved from, we understand now, we're told why God decided to destroy mankind and all the animals with him, except for one family, that's Noah. So Noah was a righteous man. God found him to be righteous and decided to save mankind through Noah and his family. So that's eight people. There's Noah and his wife, three sons and their wives. And then God told him to take two of every kind of the animals, two of every kind meant the kind, the species. It's not two of every animal. It's a, it's a long story. We won't go into that. But it's well explained by these creation science people that I love. Institute Creation Research. We support them financially as well. And so I want to encourage you to really, if you need a, if you need a resource for that, you go to that in, Anders, in, in Answers in Genesis. 
those are two tremendous resources for understanding all the early stuff, how it depends on creation. Just as we believe it in the Bible, those are great resources to go to. We know that before the flood, God told Noah to build the ark. So now we're through the flood. But here's the promise that comes after the flood. After the flood. Noah and his family come off the ark. The first thing he does is build an altar and worship God. And then we read this. This is the post-flood promise. In Genesis 9, 12 through 15, God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you. And and listen, this is interesting. It wasn't a covenant just between God and man and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. So this covenant is with God, mankind, and all the creatures, all his created beings, all his created creatures, not just human beings, but the animals as well. And here's the sign of that. I set my bow, what we call the rainbow, I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth, all the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, we see that magnificent, beautiful thing. I will remember my covenant. What was the covenant? That the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all the earth. I'm going to come back to that as I wrap up and give you a preview of next week. The promise, this covenant, was that he would not destroy the earth by water. By water. Only by water. That God promised his covenant, the rainbow, was set there. So when we see it, it's a reminder that the flood was real, that God destroyed it all. And there is so much evidence everywhere, everywhere, this country all over the world of that flood and the fossil records it created, and all those things that um, speak against the way that um, evolution is taught, and the millions of years, billions of years, and all that nonsense. It is nonsense. It is nonsense. But I won't get into that now. So when we were kids growing up in school, and I mean like elementary schools, I think it's the first time we learned this, when we were learning the colors, you know, there are seven primary colors, right? And, and to learn those, and the colors of the rainbow, by the way, that's where they come from. We know that because God created it, set it in the sky, and gave us that to learn from. Because you look at that rainbow, it's a bunch of colors. It's hard to distinguish some because some are close to the others, but there are seven colors in there. And how did we remember those colors? Well, many of us, and I've talked to a number of friends uh, and my wife and other people who Learn the same way, and others didn't know what I was talking about. But again, there was a mnemonic device, and it was the word, the name, Roy G. Biv. You remember that? Any of you remember that? Roy G. Biv was the name. Made it easy to remember. R-O-Y, the letter G, and then B-I-V. And that stood for what? Red, orange, yellow, green, Blue, indigo, violet. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to go through Roy G. Biv in a way that not attacking other people, but having us look internally into our own lives as Christians. Because Jesus told us, look, the first thing we need to do is to examine our own hearts. And Paul said that, but Jesus said for us to look in our own hearts as well. And when he said that, those words about, look, you know, take care of the, the log in your own eye before you go looking at the speck in someone else's. 
So we're going to do that today, and I'm going to challenge you to examine your own lives, your own hearts, your own attitudes, your motives, your thoughts toward others, and we're going to get into that right now. And the first letter, of course, is R. And for that word, uh, for red, R, I chose the word redemption. Redemption. In Ephesians 1, 7, Paul wrote this. In Jesus, in him, we have redemption through his blood. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the perfect Lamb, Lamb with a capital L, just as in the Old Testament, the sacrificial law, the sacrifices were the blood of lambs, right? The blood of perfect, unspotted lambs. Jesus is that perfect, unspotted lamb that was the only sacrifice that, that God would receive for the sins of the world. We're told Christ died for the sins of the world. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins or trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. It's only by the grace of God that we are even allowed to be saved. It's only by his grace. It's only by his grace. Because of our sin, the Genesis 3 world, everything from Adam and Eve all the way through, the punishment was death. That was the promise. That was a promise in Genesis that, look, if you do this, if you sin, it wouldn't use that word then, then it will bring death into the world, and he did. Not only physical death, that they died after a long life then and shorter lives now, but the spiritual death, the spiritual death, which isn't death at all, and I just finished teaching on that. So R is redemption. O, o orange, is obedience, obedience. I could have taken so many verses, but for the sake of time, I just try to choose one, sometimes two, going through this list. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Throughout his ministry and teaching, he said this, if you want to know that you're born again in Christ, that you love me, then you obey my commandments. You obey my teaching. This is the sign, this is the sign that people will know that you have become a Christian, if you will, in our terms today, that you're obeying my commandments. So obedience to his word, obedience to God's word is a sign that we really are that we really are born again. Okay? If we don't obey it, we don't study the Word of God to know what to obey. If we don't obey His Word, the teachings of Jesus, just read the red letters. If you've got an old red letter Bible, that's what He said. You, people will know, and I'll know for certain that you really are truly born again, the John 3 words of Jesus and Nicodemus, if you love me and keep or obey my commandments. Okay, So the orange O is for obedience. Y for yellow, Roy, R-O-Y. The yellow, the Y, I had a bunch of words for that. The one that I felt most um, strongly about using by the Holy Spirit that has two meanings, though, is the word yield. The word yield. The first meaning is this. The great verse in Joshua, Old Testament, Joshua 24, 23. God said this. Now then, Joshua, excuse me, this is, this is God speaking through Joshua to his people. Okay, Moses has been uh, taken out. God took Moses and buried him. Now Joshua is leading this nation of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. And, um, and then they do. Uh, so Joshua said this. Now then, throw away the foreign gods that they picked up along the way. 
You and I have foreign gods. Well, many of you, those who are born again in Christ, we have cast off those foreign gods, those idols. Idolatry was a huge issue with the Israelites, even though God directed them himself. All those years, they didn't need a king. God was directly intervening through Moses and now Joshua to guide and direct them and help them along the way and help them learn to live an obedient life to those commandments that he gave back then. And Joshua said, the first thing to do is throw away the foreign gods. What are the idols in your life? What are the things that you worship aside from God? That, that are, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. And here's the thing. Yield your hearts to the Lord. Yield. Yield your hearts to the Lord. What is yield? See a, a yellow yield sign, caution sign? Means stop. Yield. In this case, you yield and bow to God. Stop and yield your life. Means give it up. Yield your life to the Lord. Yield your life to God. So that's the first thing we need to do. Yield our lives or re-yield our lives to the Lord. Throw off the foreign gods. Throw off the things that are getting in the way, that are keeping you from the Lord. Yield your life to the Lord. Now, the other side of that, in John 15, 8, again, Jesus talked about the things that are evidences of our really loving him, serving him, following him. And I mentioned the one about obedience. Well, the second thing that was so important to him, he said, My Father is glorified in this by this, that you yield much fruit. That you yield much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How do we prove that we're followers of Christ, that we're sincere, that we're born again? We're yielding much fruit. He talked about this, you know, he gave them those examples of the fruit and the vine and things that are cut off if they're not yielding fruit. So the yield word, the Y in Roy, is that we yield our lives to God, that we throw off our foreign gods, the things we worship, idolatry. But then we also look at, are we yielding or bearing much fruit? Some translations will say bearing, that you bear much fruit. Same word for yield. We need to be yielding. You know, we talk about crops. You said the crops yielded a, a good harvest this year. That's the same word yield. They, they produce much fruit. So that's what God wants us to do in this yielding word. Look at your life. Look at your life. Are there idols you need to throw off? And then what's the measure of the, the fruit that you are producing, the yield of your prayers, the yield of your testimony, the yield of your working and ministering to the lives of other people? <laughs> if you're disciples, Jesus said this is what we'll be able to see. Is there some yield or produce, not in some legalistic way, but in a way that we just glorify God because we're so thankful to be saved. I'm thankful to be saved, aren't you? I'm so thankful. The letter G, the letter G, couldn't be any other word right but grace, but grace. And I'm going to give you two examples of this too. The first one is going to be receiving grace. We receive grace and then that we uh, extend grace to other people. Okay? If we are born again in Christ, Christians, then we're going to extend grace to other people. Well, most Christians uh, who've been around the Word of God at all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And so the first verse in Ephesians 2, 8 is what? For by grace, you, me, we have been saved, what? Through faith, not of ourselves. Now, we can't save ourselves. We can't work for it. We're saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. Okay? God. Salvation is the gift of God this verse is talking to. 
But grace is the way we are saved, the grace of God. He doesn't owe it to us. He doesn't owe it to us. Grace is grace. There's all kinds of definitions that Christians have come up with over the years of theologians and unmerited favor and things we don't deserve. You know, it's simply that the grace of God is just something that we don't deserve, his, his favor. If I extend grace to you, we're going to be on next verse. It's just something I'm just giving. You don't necessarily deserve it, but I'm just extending it to you. Why? Because God extended grace to me. And so in that, Ephesians 4.32, as a verse can most of us learn as children, be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you and me. Ephesians 4.32. Now, there's not a verse. It's interesting. I studied and I looked and I went through a lot of different uh, verses, Bibles, different versions, and there wasn't one that said uh, specifically about extending grace using those words, but there are these examples, these examples that we would um, use because we know it, it, it does, in fact, exemplify extending grace to others. What does it say? Be kind. Be kind. We need, we need more kindness in this world. Sometimes I am unkind. I'm unkind in my attitude, actions, maybe even words. Uh, for that, I need to seek forgiveness, and I do. I need to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, and I am, or someone else that speaks to me and says, I wasn't very kind. Those weren't very kind words. We'll talk next week, and I'll mention it even here, though. Be careful, though, because we do need to be kind. But at the same time, um, what people perceive today as love and kindness in a secular world definition isn't a biblical definition. So there may be kindness that uh, the, the Word of God says through His Holy Spirit that is kind, and yet other people will see it as hate, just like love. We'll talk about that one later. So we need to be kind. We need to be kind, gentle to other people, kind to one another, tender-hearted, you know, uh, compassionate, forgiving one another, forgiving one another. Those who seek forgiveness, that we forgive them. Why? Just because because God forgave me in Christ. He, my sins are forgiven because I came and repented. I confessed my sins and repented and received Christ as my Savior. And so, therefore, God forgave me. And that's grace. That's a short little lesson on grace. Now we get into the, the last letters, the last name, Biv. The blue, a color blue is the first one. I love blue. It's one of my favorite colors, probably my favorite color. Um, and belief. What else could it be but belief or faith? But belief. And so I actually picked three verses here because it's, it's, it's the seminal verse, the seminal verse and word of, of all of our salvation. Salvation begins here that we believe. You know, it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in John 3.16, that was what Jesus told Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave, we believe. His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, and believes. The second verse, or a couple of verses that I chose for this, really meaningful to me, um, periodically in my life, when I'm having all these doubts and wondering, God, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you answer this prayer? All the things we look at to God for things that he did not do, and they create this unbelief this unbelief or lack of faith in our lives. And so the best story about that and the one that we can re uh, relate to the best, and I recall years ago uh, writing a lesson and doing a series of podcasts on it called The Thomas and Me. 
the Thomas in me. John 20, toward the end of that chapter, Jesus has been resurrected. He'd appeared to the disciples, and Thomas wasn't there. Okay? And so I'm going um, to read that part of the verse. And then there's another time, there's a break. They come back together again, and this time Thomas is with them. That's found in John 20. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 25. But Thomas said to the disciples, because they had said, hey, he's risen. He was here with us. It's great. He is risen, just like he said, just like he said. And Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. And this is where the old expression, doubting Thomas, comes from. He doubted. I doubt it. I doubt it. You said Jesus is resurrected. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> we doubt so much about our Lord. It's so sad. Then, this next time, they're together again in the upper room. Doors locked and closed because they're afraid. They're in there afraid someone's going to come and kill them. Because this resurrection talk is going around and the Jews hate that. They're afraid that this killing Jesus didn't, wasn't enough. And now they're going to claim he's resurrected. Well, he was. And he is. And he'd appeared to the disciples and many others. But now he comes back through the wall I love that just shows up because that's what we can do in our spiritual bodies. He just goes through. It's going to be so cool. And then Jesus comes over to Thomas directly. Well, how does he know what he said? He wasn't there. When Thomas said those things, how does he know? Because he's the omniscient God. And Jesus Christ, the second person, the incarnate God, the son of God, is God. And he knows. He knows what Thomas said. And he didn't go over there and take him on about that. He just walked over and said, okay, Thomas, here. Reach your finger. Put it right here. Hold his hands out, the holes in his palms there, and probably in his wrists where they put those nails in. And now here, Tom, takes his arm. Take, Thomas, stick your hand right there. Feel that? Feel that? Yeah, that's, where, that's a hole that a spear made. <laughs> and here are the key words. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Oh. Whew. That was hard for me. Whew. Because so much of Thomas in me, probably in you. And what did Thomas do? I didn't include that part, but Thomas just was broken and fell and said, Oh, Lord God, he's my, my, my God, my God and my Savior. My Jesus, he recognized, and then he believed. And Jesus said those words, Blessed, you've seen and so you believe, but blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. You see, that's this generation. That's all the generations afterwards. We haven't seen the risen Christ. These people got to see the risen Jesus. It changed their lives so dramatically that all of them, Judas was already dead at this point, all of them were martyred, were told in, in the, either in the Bible or through historical writings afterward, were martyred, were killed because of their faith in Christ because they would not deny him. They would not deny him. And so Jesus said, for our generation and all those after him, blessed are you who have not seen me, but you still believe, and we go proclaim the truth of the gospel. He is risen indeed. Yes, he is. The eye, or indigo, indigo is the interesting color between blue and violet, kind of a darkish blue or 
it's it's an interesting between blue and what we'd call purple, violet. The eye is illumination or light, illumination, illumination. And I've got two verses there because first verse we know, John 8, 12, Jesus said what? I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light, capital L, of life. Jesus is the light of the world. John 8, 12, we know that. Now, in Matthew 5, 14, in the... Um, Sermon on the Mount, he told his disciples, he'd already said this early in his ministry, right after he came down from the temptation, he'd been baptized with temptation, goes up on the mount and starts to teach what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But in that, early on in that, right after the Beatitudes, he says this, he said, you are the light of the world. Pointing to his disciples, that's who his audience was. Lots of crowds came, a lot of the crowds came, but he was talking to the disciples. He said, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. If the light of the life of Christ is in us, then people will see it. We'll see it. It's illuminating. We are to illuminate the world. Illuminate the world because we are so thankful. We're so thankful and excited that Christ is in us. Are you illuminated by that? Or is your light under a basket, hidden? You can't put a candle under there. You can't see it. And if you, if you take away enough of the air and the oxygen, it will go out. It will go out. So the eye is illuminating. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But he said, you're the light of the world. And so the challenge for us, Christian, is are we the light of the world? To these people, to these people that we have all kinds of issues with, and others in the world, regardless of whether it's this uh, LBGTQ+, and I don't know all the letters and things, and um, but, but that group, but all the others too. I told you we're living in a demonic realm. The demonic realm uh, under the control of Satan has never been greater and is more active than ever, and it will continue to be. Why? Because the end is near. All right, let's get on to the last one. I don't want to get off on that. V for violet, violet. Victory, victory. Last week's message was on that victory, that victorious Christian living, the victory that we have in Jesus, victory over death because of his resurrection. We talked about that at the end of that series, uh, Deliverance from the Evil One. And that ultimate deliverance from the evil is at the end of the age when Satan is finally himself cast into the lake of fire. Maybe a long way between now and then, could start tomorrow, I don't know. But the verse is one of the verses I used last week in 1 Corinthians 15. It's the best verses, I think, talking about that, that chapter on the resurrection and death. And Paul said this, The sting of death is sin, sin caused death, and the power of sin is the law, meaning because of the law you knew what was right and wrong, that sin to diso excuse me, disobey that. But here's what comes all together, forgetting the law of the past in terms of, because Jesus fulfilled that law, we're not having to obey all that stuff, we couldn't have obeyed anyway, neither could the Jews. Paul said this, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over death, victory over sin, victory over all those things because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our victory. It is our victory. As I was wrapping this up, 
just it, something was troubling me, and it didn't seem complete. That's the whole mnemonic. That's Roy G. Bibb. That's Rainbow. That's taking those words in that mnemonic, the the Roy G. Bibb, and 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 using them in a way that helps us look into our own lives as Christians. But the Holy Spirit just put in my spirit was one missing, and that letter is L. There's no L in Rainbow. There's no L in Roy G. Biff. But the L that is the most important of all, based on what Jesus said, and the, all the apostles that wrote after him, and all the letters and epistles that followed those books of the Bible and New Testament, is love. Is love. And so if you look, if you look at the notes when I post them, the, the word love for the letter L is written in red. Crimson red because it had to be. Had to be. Because crimson is the color of blood. Blood red. It's that deep red. Because when the oxygen hits it and it turns deep red, that's the color of the, of the letter of the word love and L for the blood of Christ. Leading into next week, I want to end with this. I did a series called The Five Loves uh, probably a couple of years ago. Really, really good series. Um, I won't review it now, but you can go back and again watch those videos, listen to the messages, and, and read the notes if you'd like. But the hardest one, by far the hardest one, is, is the one Jesus said again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.44. He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That makes sense. Love my neighbors. They're usually pretty friendly and nice. Hate my enemies. Despise them. Jesus said, whoop, time out, because he flipped it all around in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what blew up the Jews, especially the Pharisees, religious leaders. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What was he thinking? When I processed that, I just didn't know how to, pro I didn't know how to. And I spent more time on that trying to study and understand, Lord, what were you thinking? What do you mean? It's hard enough to love one another because we get on each other's nerves sometimes, even as Christians. But to love my enemies, these people that are doing all these despicable, heinous things, and uh, the people out there doing other things that we hate, or people on the other side of a political aisle, if you're so you know inclined, and all these things going on that are uh, enemies in war. What do you mean love your enemies? How is that possible? How is that possible? When I realized how much I held them in contempt and the Holy Spirit got all over me, got all over me, as I hope he does you right now, that when we were still lost, as Paul talked about, we were still lost in our sin, we were just as contemptuous and despicable in the sight of God. Not one bit more or less than these people that we hate, that we despise what they do and who they are. We hate them. They are our enemies, spiritual enemies, not just physical enemies of people warring. He's talking about spiritual enemies here, even them. I'm not talking about Satan and demons. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people. This is a people thing that we love them. And pray for those who persecute us. Jesus did. He prayed on the cross. <laughs> Can't get any more persecuted than that. And they were killing him, and they did. 
And some of the last words that he said were praying for them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And so I went through this time of absolute conviction and on my face right here on this floor in my little office studio, blubbering and crying and weeping because I knew, I knew that my sin, apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that redemption, the R, the very first letter, the love of God is expressed into this world through Jesus Christ. That's how we love our enemies. We share this gospel with them. Most of you have never shared the gospel with anyone in your lives, much less with your enemy. And that's what he's talking about. And that's why I came down on it. He may put other things in your heart about it, but for me, it was to share the truth, the, God, the love of God through Christ. This is love that he gave his life for us. God so loved the world. It's John 3.16, and we need to be willing to share it. But here's the thing. You know this, and I do, and this is probably what scares you off. Most people won't see it that way. Most people that are your enemies, most people in these other camps, who have come to power now, though that they, though they are a small, small percent of the population driving the agenda, as people like to say, they will hate you. They will call this hate speech. There will be a time you could be prosecuted. Maybe that's now. Some are prosecuted for this. I believe the word of God will be taken between now and the time of the Antichrist, or maybe during that time. You better learn your Bible. Some have already taken out the verse, the, the pages of the verses they don't like and created their own rainbow Bible. Do you know that? Absolutely. But we're still called to love them, to love our enemies. And the only way I know is to be willing to just, in speaking the truth in love, because you desire that, that they would get saved as well, just like you are, because we don't want to see anyone go to hell. Do you hate anyone enough to see them spend eternity in what I've described the last couple of weeks? what the Word of God describes, what Jesus talked about so often? Is that what you want for someone else? I don't. I don't. Not even my worst enemy. Though I would think it that way sometimes. So I accepted my rebuke, my rebuke from the Lord, my rebuke from the Holy Spirit. Mm. I can hardly speak the words without weeping again because I am so grateful. I am so thankful that God saved me through the blood of Christ. That L, the word, the one letter is not in rainbow, it's not in Roy G. Bibb, but it is the most important. The love of God was poured out through Christ and he saved my wretched life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Before I close this, I want to give an invitation to those who have... Uh, I'm not going to speak this one to Christians. This whole message has been to you that, about conviction and examining your own heart to see where these letters fit in your life. Are you the expression of them <laughs> to the world? And if not, why not? And now... For those who are lost, and I, by my lost, I mean just lost, feeling hopeless, can't find your way. You've turned to other things, just like the words Joshua said, to throw off your false gods. You've got these false gods. You don't see them that way. But anything that you worship 
or anything that you hold dear more so than the Lord God himself, he considered as an idol. Anything that comes between you and God is an idol. It's true even with Christians. Some idol is a football team or a hockey team or basketball, baseball, sports stuff. It could be your children. You've seen them higher. It could be a wife or it could be someone in your family that you hold them and love them more dearly than the Lord God himself. They have become idols to you. So Joshua, and I say the same way, you just throw off those idols because they're coming between you and the Lord God. And as Jesus expressed in Nicodemus, and, and I expressed in this last one, this love, you, you know, people like to say, well, God is love, and a loving God wouldn't do all these things. Horrible, awful, send people to hell. Well, I've got news for you. God does love you. He loves you. <laughs> he loves you to death, the death of Jesus Christ. And he offers for you a way out of this sin, this the pit that you are stuck in because of the demonic realm, Satan himself, demons, I don't know what it is, or just your own love of other things. Those are the things that come after us, according to the Bible. There's satanic, demonic, possession, influence, all those things. And then there's just our own selfish hearts that want things our way. And in that way, you become your own God. You're your own authority. Ask yourself, who do you report to? Who's the ultimate authority in your life? Your boss at work? I doubt it. It's you. It's you, and you become your own God. And so what I'm asking you to do is to realize that this love poured out through Christ is for you. It is. It's for you. Absolutely, it's for you. And it's offered free. There's nothing other than to come and repent of your sins, which means to change your mind about perhaps the way you're living, perhaps the, way, the things you're holding dear as idols, and to throw those off. That's repentance, to change your mind and then begin to act differently because of that and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Savior. He's there. He's for you. He's for you and not against you. He wants you to be in this family. It is the best and greatest family, though we have all kinds of issues, as all families do, we are saved, we are born again, we are regenerated, but we are not perfect. But I'm inviting you to come and join this family because Jesus Christ died for you and his blood will cleanse you from your sin once and for all if you'll just do that. And I pray and I plead that you will. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this, this uh, mnemonic device you gave me to teach and I hope it reaches the hearts and minds of Christians first that they would examine their hearts and minds and see how we're living for you and how we're expressing that to a world that's, that's lost and dark and full of hopeless people. They need to see the, the light and the hope and all those things in us because Jesus has saved us. And I thank you, Lord, that you're giving today salvation to those who repent of their sins, confess those sins, and receive Christ by just asking him, Lord, would you save me? I thank you for those you have given us today into this family. Angels are rejoicing in heaven over everyone who has done that. And so are we in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you and you have a great week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.